So I was doing my thing on Twitter this morning uh, and really enjoying the process because there's a question out there that uh, has really dived, dove into the community and people are answering it mostly the same way. I'd love to get someone on this question to do uh, a story form of it and I don't have anybody picked out yet so if you are listening and you haven't replied to this tweet and you want me to consider you to tell a story based on this tweet I'd love to it is when you discover your spouse of 30 years is a war criminal who fled her country to escape charges for her involvement in the murder of many thousands of civilians what will you do and I think that what has really struck me is that we're emotional people. And so all of us, having been married for 30 years in this scenario, say that we're going to protect her, almost all of us. Um, and that feels like the right choice, even though ethically and morally, it's clearly wrong based on our own judicial system and what we would want if we were the parents or the siblings or friends of the people who were murdered by our spouse who was never brought to justice. And so it's a, a fascinating process to think through. And there's a real life story to be told around it. Um, but the thing that I wanted to share with you is that this actually happens to people. And that struck me deeply. This happens to people, maybe not at this scale, um, but this happens to people regularly, that they're living with somebody who is hiding something from them many times for decades and when it's revealed, it flips everything that they have formed their emotional, psychological safety in. I was thinking Ted Bundy had parents. I, I don't know his story well enough to know maybe he killed his parents. I don't know. Um, and I'm not laughing at him killing his parents. I'm just laughing that, you know, that would be a totally different story. But Ted Bundy had parents. And there was a day when it was irrefutable that he was a serial killer. And what would that feel like to be Ted Bundy's parents? Anyway, hopefully none of you were the parents of a uh, future Ted Bundy. <laughs> this is the weirdest intro ever. I'm really looking forward to sharing this amazing story that I collaborated in telling with AJ Ponder. She is from New Zealand, and I'm afraid that one of my favorite parts of the conversation may have been disrupted by the first and only time that I've lost an internet connection during the podcast. So I'll, I'll do my best to edit it. I have not actually edited the episode quite yet, um, and I'm hoping that by the time you're listening to it, it's seamless and you don't even know that there was a little bit of a connectivity issue. As a reminder, I do have the seven-figure marketing mindset for novelists out. Uh, this book is really specifically aimed at writers. So if you are a reader who's just first discovering this podcast, don't worry about it. We have lots of great novels and, and things like that coming out for you. And the guest books will highlight and discuss. You can buy those. I'll always have links to them in the show notes, including all of the work of AJ Ponder. But if you are a writer and you want to pick up a mindset book that I think is fairly decent to help you think through how to approach marketing your book for the long haul, your books, uh, go ahead and grab a copy. I'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. Or if you're a member of KU, you can browse it 
for free. You know what's interesting is that people who are part of KU rarely read whole books. Uh, it's like that's where a book goes to die of ADHD. I'm sorry if you struggle with ADHD. Um, and that feels offensive to you, but it seems kind of true. When you get the book for free on KU, the commitment to actually read it and enjoy it is, is totally different. And, and the strange thing is, is that it could be a terribly entertaining book, but because it's free, you devalue it. Nevertheless, it's there for you if you would like to read it on KU. I'd highly recommend just, uh, blazing through it from page one to page 126. It's a short, punchy little read. And uh, I will encourage you to do things you'll never want to do that will help you with your mindset. So do them and build a winning mindset. Wow, I am really, really going on a drift here. Please enjoy my conversation with AJ Ponder. If you've ever gone to a reading and felt bored, TRBM is the show for you. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and spotlights were for bands. What chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Totally real bookmaking. Telling righteous ballads, man? Toast, ravioli, bologna, and manicotti. The reluctant book mess? You decide. So the the tweet from Twitter that we are unfolding into a story uh, is as follows. Unicorns are discovered in a remote valley on Greenland. You are a renowned veterinarian. The CIA tells you you'll be going with them to explore the unicorns. You decide to flee and meet a homeless woman on the run from the law. Do you partner up or go on your own way? All right. Well, I decided already that I am definitely fleeing the CIA. They are definitely the bad guys in this story. And the homeless woman, absolutely, I need to partner up with her. She's going to be invaluable yeah. to me. Exactly. Yeah. So what made you decide that? I'm curious because I, I 100% agree with your read. And obviously, I came up with the question, so I had my own thoughts on it. But yeah, I, I'm feeling well, the same way you are. When you have a character in a book and they're mentioned, they're either going to be important or they're going, well, important in a good way or important in a bad way. And yeah. I don't think you can have a homeless woman important in a bad way. It's just not going to be a nice story that then is it. So yeah. I think she's going to be amazing. And we're going to find out that she's got some some extra useful skills, even if it's just surviving in the wild and staying away from the CIA. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you've already taken some just like natural elements of her environment and used them to the benefit. One thing I was thinking about is you could, uh, so you have like the Strider character when you think of Lord of the Rings, um, which, you know, you don't know exactly which way he's going to go, but he fits that sort of stranger that you meet and ends up being extremely useful. Um, and so you could play with that trope if you wanted to. And this homeless person that you meet could actually be an operative for the CIA that was planted so that you'd run into them and sympathize. But I really like your idea of playing this one straight and taking the homeless person and and, and using her um, as uh, more of the Gandalf character where she's going to lead you into adventure. I think, I think that's how you're seeing it, but this is your story. So I just wanted to interject with a couple of those thoughts that I was playing with a little bit. Yeah. A little bit of a cross between Gandalf and Strider because I'm expecting the homeless woman's going to have a better idea about how to survive in the wild than I do. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. So we've got our setup. We've got our homeless woman. You can name her if you wish, or she can stay uh, the homeless woman. And uh, what- Going to call her Emily. All right. We're going to call her (laughs) Emily. I love it. Okay. So we've got Emily uh, and you are running from the CIA. Go ahead and and start telling the story from there in any way that you see fit. And it doesn't have to be dramatically narrative. You can actually just sketch it sort of like you did before, however you're most comfortable doing that. So I'm not entirely sure because I've not done this before. I normally think with my hands. So this is kind of a little bit um, out of the way. So I would would probably be sneaking into that remote valley. Yeah. Be looking for the unicorns. mm -hmm. And I would would be um, looking for suggestions from from my partner, Emily, Mm -hmm. as to what the best way to hide from the unicorns would be. And also I think would – would need to, you know, get some food and would probably follow the river down through the bush, through the underbush, um, get some fish. I, I, I like to eat. Food <laughs> is very, very important to me. Yes. Um, yeah. And then we'd probably hide out somewhere and see what happened. I, I wonder what could come along in our story that would be not a unicorn necessarily to start with. Right. Yeah, I feel like, and and this is really funny, um, one of the things that happens in storytelling or asking questions about story prompts is that if you don't give people information, people tend to fill in their own ideas. And so just ironically enough, I had this idea because we had the CIA that we were set in America. And so one of the first big obstacles that I saw was how in the world do you get to Greenland when you decide that if the CIA is interested in these unicorns, that you're interested in saving the unicorns or figuring out or thwarting the CIA. And so it's sort of like getting yourself on a plane to Greenland would be tough enough. And getting a homeless uh, compatriot on the plane with you would be another level of, of difficulty. Uh, so I'd be interested in seeing what your thoughts are, if that's the case. Or do you envision this starting somewhere close enough to Greenland that you're able to just navigate there more simply? I would I would think that if you're, yeah, I, I would think that you'd be closer. But then on the other hand, okay. I would be be like, why don't you just grab a plane? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a world famous veterinarian. I've got some money. That's grab a, a great plane, point. That's a great get a, point. Get, a, get yeah. a pilot to fly us there. Yes. All right. How do you do it without the CIA taking notice? How do I do it without the CIA taking notice? Well, yeah. I think I think I'd expect them to take notice, but you do it quickly. <laughs> okay. Do it quickly. Get over there and then hide. Because yeah. they're going to be all over Greenland, so you've got to you've got to you've got to get into the valley and try and stay away from the CIA. Mm-hmm. Getting getting there shouldn't be the hard thing, really, because you've got a pilot. Yeah, there are pilots. There are planes. You don't have yes. to hit a commercial airline. There's there's no need to do that. Why would you do that when you? Otherwise, you're just going to get called up when you try and pass through security. So why mm-hmm. why would you go there? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe find some drug runners. That would be fun. That would make it very exciting story. I, getting yeah. onto a plane with some drug runners and getting yourself into trouble and yes. then owing the money and And (laughs) theoretically, you could be making good use of your homeless person because one of the leading reasons that people are homeless is drug addiction. And so maybe Emily 
uh, had a tough life. Maybe she's very skilled at certain things, but she did have a drug addiction. So maybe she knows the perfect people to speak to that can, that can get you uh, a plane or a, a method of travel uh, like those, those drug runners. Cause I keep thinking about it. Just it's in, it's in my, my brain. The CIA is watching everything. So if you, if you have to charter a flight you have to put your name on that flight. And if you put your name on that flight, I feel like they're waiting for you at the airport when you land. So you've got to find this secretive, sneaky back, doorway to get to greenland without taking any notice yeah maybe maybe get a plane that can land on some water and then you can then you don't need the runway so they can't be waiting for you but that would actually be tricky and that would actually be a grittier story than i would normally write i would Mm -hmm. normally write something fluffier where you're hiding out in greenland (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so describe to me the the difference between fluffy versus gritty which uh where do you see the lines being for gritty versus uh kind of like fluffier so so gritty, gritty is is where you have the drug addiction, where people mm-hmm. are dying, where you're doing something more, very morally gray to mm-hmm. to to get to where you're going. Gotcha. Um, so so all of those things make a story grittier, whereas mm-hmm. the fluffier ones is where you focus on like the delight of finding the unicorns and and the yeah. The lush valley that they're going to be found in, mm. and some of the magical aspects of of hiding out rather than the physical ones mm-hmm. where, you know, things are a bit more dangerous and, and murky and gray and yeah, in real life. Who wants real life? Aren't we here yeah. for stories? <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I, I do think that it's both things. And I love that there are different, different uh, ways into every story. So yes, I, I am reading to kind of, for me, I'm reading to experience life more deeply. So I like fantasy. I like J.R.R. Tolkien when I read his work because he's sort of representing things like World War II and what it felt like to be alive during that time without being political. And so he sets it in a fantasy kingdom or war in general or the hearts of humanity that we would crave power like that. And so I really enjoy stories that uh, set up something for me to explore uh, the heart of humanity. But yes, you, I, have, I like Light and Fluffy. Yeah, I do like Light and Fluffy. Did you read Joe Holderman's The Forever War? I think it's Joe Holderman, The Forever War. I've not even heard of it before, but I will check it it's, out. Science fiction, and okay. it's basically his therapy from going through the Vietnam War. Wow! And it's an amazing series. Yeah, yeah, awesome! Yeah, it's I an amazing it science out. fiction series. It's definitely worth checking out. Awesome! Especially if you like that whole um, gritty reality, but turned into a fantasy without the mm-hmm. political overtones. It's it's extremely yeah. good. I do think I like that. So it's it's interesting because, and I mentioned already once in this podcast, but uh, the the Sullivans, um, Michael started writing because he felt like there was a lot of fantasy that was getting really dark, and where where the antihero was kind of taking over, and he didn't want that. He wanted to have a clear hero and a clear villain, and he wanted to have people with noble intentions and people with dastardly intentions and pit them against each other, and. I I absolutely find myself gravitating toward that. I do like a, a Breaking Bad type of a television show as well. But yeah, I mean, I I just like I guess I like a lot of different things. But yeah, it sounds yep. like great. So. Yeah, no, I like all those things as well. I think I think they're fantastic. I don't like things when they get too gritty and violent. But mm-hmm. anything, oh, actually, I think I said the wrong name. 
there's there's a there's a, there's a series that um, my husband and, and children read that's just way too way too gritty for me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, Game of Thrones. I've heard is 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 beyond anything, and I I've never really planned on reading that for that reason. So. Uh, I've, read, so, I've read the first few, few of them, and you know okay. they were good books, but they've yeah. gone too far. Yeah, they're just, yeah, they're just too far. Yeah, it's like yuck. No, thank you. Go away. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So let's let's dive back in, and and since this is your story, I'm letting you drive. We are in Greenland. We're in the valley. What's the main source of tension what, that that you view? What are what are uh, Emily and you up against that you're trying to rescue the unicorns from? Do you have a sense of what the CIA wants from them, or um, you know, from your uh, veterinarian background, um, where are we going to get the the tension that drives the story forward? So the tension is going to be uh, possibly my my homeless person's going to find it quite tricky hanging out with somebody because mm. you know the demanding, and then you've got the CIA people who are going to be on your tail, yeah, and they're going to be very tricky to avoid. You've also got the dangers of Greenland and the weather, mm-hmm. um, so that's going to be a problem. But you know, just because there are unicorns in the valley doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't something also more dangerous in the valley, yeah. maybe predating on the unicorns. Yes. So, yeah, <laughs> including so, the CIA, so, yeah. <laughs> so 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 bring on the dragons or some some enormous eagle or something that that would be interesting. Yeah. Um but the definitely I think the CIA is going to be your biggest threat. Mm-hmm. And you know, you might come across somebody and think that they're innocent and feel like you have to rescue them and get mm. yourself into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you seem by by the fact that you've partnered up with someone who's homeless, you seem like the kind of character who's uh empathetic and willing to help out. So what do you see that situation being? Who do you run into? So I, I imagine maybe seeing someone stuck in a, a river or mm. um and feel that you have to, you know, on a raft or whatever you feel that, or or just stuck in the current and you feel that you have to rescue mm-hmm. them. And, of course, they're going to be the bad guys yeah, or one of the bad guys. And that's going to be interesting. I like that. So you take in one of the bad guys and they start feeding you maybe some false information. Uh, and how do you first come to be suspicious that this person might not be who you think they are? Um, I would say when it would have to be something quite overt, wouldn't it? So you'd they'd need to be trying to sneak a message out, or um, maybe maybe what they'd be doing is sending out like a little SOS code with a mm-hmm. a bit of mirror or something like that, and mm-hmm. you can see them flashing a little SOS code so that the CIA can find out where you are. So. Yeah. So when you see them do that, CIA already coming down on you. So you have to flee. Mm. So wake the wake the wake up, poor Emily, who's like, I've just got to sleep. What are you doing? Yeah, we're about we're about to be overrun, and we'd probably be fleeing. And it's really at this point where you're fleeing from the the CIA that you'd mm-hmm. be you'd stumble into a valley or something that you hadn't seen before, like a. Mm-hmm. A crevice or a like hiding in the I'm cheating because I did this in quest <laughs> you you go down into a crevice and and you're stuck and there's a dragon after you and mm. 
but not necessarily in this story. Dragon right. after you, and you're looking for a way to escape, and you find like a tunnel through mm-hmm. a rock and get to the other side, and that's where you're going to find the unicorns on, and a little remote valley on the other side that's quite shielded for some reason. For some yeah. reason, in the modern world, we haven't managed to see it with overhead. <laughs> Yeah, or the overhead technology, which is you know just crazy. I mean, it, because in a story like this, you almost have to assume that you don't have that technology. I Otherwise, think, ha- yeah, I think that you can have it, and I. But you're also you're also mixing magic. So something that, uh, regardless of how anybody feels about it, like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, the way that they deal with the magical nation of Wakanda is that there's a shield over it that makes it invisible to everybody, and if you don't know it's there, somehow you just never stumble into it. Um, and so I like I like mixing magic in this situation, and perhaps that crevice is a magical way in. Um, what you immediately got me thinking about when you were setting it up like this is that the CIA's ultimate motive was, and I don't, I don't understand the setup exactly, but their ultimate motive was to figure out an easy way in because they knew of the Valley with the unicorns, but they didn't know how to get in effectively to maybe oh, get yeah, the unicorns and, and out. And you've let so, them in because they're chasing exactly, you. So that's exactly. Because they're yes. chasing you. So uh, the, the Wakanda um, stuff is, is quite an interesting image with the, with the force field and everything, but mm-hmm. that, also presupposes that somebody or something mm-hmm. is powerful enough to put that force field up and you're right. going to come across that that entity that's very mm-hmm. powerful which is you know again going to be a challenge yeah yeah i was i was thinking too and i mean you could take the story that way absolutely to have like something that powerful or i was thinking more in the mode of sometimes there are there are just like magical things so i wasn't necessarily thinking of it in terms of like exactly like wakanda where it's technological but maybe it's some version of magic where they they just couldn't see it so and it's a very powerful magic and yeah. whatever that that magic um, use or even if it's the unicorns, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a powerful magic that the unicorns yeah. have created, yeah. and so therefore that makes the unicorns quite useful because they aren't just yes. like oh I'm running around the forest as a little sweet unicorn <laughs> that makes them more challenging as either opponents or collaborators or both because I mean they're not going yeah. to have the same drives that that we have we right. don't we know they want to stay hidden. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I like that, too, because now it gives the CIA a really uh, specific reason to be pursuing these because they have uh, a magic that the CIA can use for their own um, probably ill purposes. Uh, And so harvesting unicorns is is beneficial. Do you think that the CIA wants to kill them or do they want to trap them? Uh, What do you what do you view as their ultimate goal with them? Well, if the unicorns have got cloaking technology, <laughs> that'd be very useful, wouldn't they? You well, have yeah, a few exactly. unicorns around your secret bases and no one's <laughs> going to be able to see what's going on in them. I mean, I think that's the perfect use the CIA wants for the unicorns. Absolutely. The unicorns won't much like it, though. In yeah. fact, you'd probably, you'd probably have them. Actually, this is book number one. So you have them, book number one, you lose... Yeah. The CIA grab the unicorns. Oh, wow. And leave you there. Oh no. Oh. So you've only got like one or two unicorns left, Emily and yourself, yeah. trapped in a lost valley. And now you've got to figure out how to rescue all the unicorns that the CIA have taken away in a big huge Oof. um 
That's, that's that's brutal. That's like uh, that's like going Star Wars, but starting out with Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, let's do it. So so the the CIA has taken off with your all the unicorns, um, but maybe you discover another uh, otherwise overlooked creature that the CIA has no interest in, but that you as a renowned veterinarian uh, understand quite quickly is, is valuable. How do you feel about that as a kind of a story development? That would be really cool. I'm just trying to think of what would be really cute. Like a squirrel yeah. type cre- creature is right. always cute. Yes. I always like those sorts of things. So a little, a little squirrel like creature, but um, I'm trying to think of what magical powers that the squirrel or, or powers the squirrel like creature. Cause it could, yeah. they could be like Emily. Mm-hmm. I mean, Emily is yeah. lovely. She, right. she, she goes around and she feeds, she feeds them. And I was just a world famous veterinarian. What did I know? <laughs> right. But, but Emily's running around feeding these little creatures and they absolutely adore her. Yes. Um, and I'm just wondering what special skills they could, you know, what special thing they could bring that that would be, I mean, yeah, maybe they could mind melt. That would be pretty cute. <laughs> yes, they have like a <laughs> they have like a, a telepathic ability somehow um, to and make I'm, you feel good. To make okay to make you feel good to <laughs> so they're like little drugs. <laughs> they like, like little drugs. You keep them happy and they keep you happy. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I I like it. I like it for a lot of reasons. And uh, what what you didn't realize? Okay, so a couple of things that I'm feeling like we can use for this story that we we move past quickly is uh, I think when Emily and you first met the uh shady character that you misread i think there's a possibility that that that's one moment where you could have seen maybe a crack between how you deal with the world and how emily deals with the world because maybe either you trusted this person right away and she didn't and she tried to warn you and you didn't listen or vice versa that seems like a fairly easy clean way to to do a little bit of character development for those two and then i was thinking in the same way you've already set this up here where she instinctively gets these little magical mind melding squirrels and you're too interested in the, the veterinary uh, the study of animals aspect of it to really see yeah. what's going on. And that made me wonder too about when you actually came to the Valley and lost all those unicorns, maybe there was an opportunity that you could have saved them, but you got too interested in studying the unicorns and you were not as vigilant as you should have been I'm wondering about those things a little bit and how that sets up. Are you and Emily now, are you all feeling good because of the squirrels or is there still a sense of like possibly uh tension between you and, and Emily? Um, I would say that Emily would be quite grumpy um, yeah. because she would, she would, she would love the unicorns on a on on a level, and yeah, and and we've we've destroyed them, um, not destroyed them, but but ruined ruined their way of life mm-hmm. and had them fly off. So, so so we'd probably both be a little bit on edge. Um, she would definitely be blaming the world famous veterinarian and saying, "Why did you come when yeah. you knew that you were going to, to possibly lead people into the wrong place?" Mm. And of course, me as the world famous veterinarian, what do I care about that sort of thing? I'm like, oh my goodness, but how could I not? Unicorns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's true too. I would, I would do the same thing. I would have to go see it if there was any way possible. Just the knowledge that they existed would be enough for for somebody who's a veterinarian to discover a, a new species or see it up close and personal. Um, 
And I feel I feel like the the reader could go either way or the listener can go either way with this, where they can maybe sympathize a little bit with the veterinarian or uh, they can at this moment get kind of some of that that murkiness that you were talking about, where it's just a moment of a little bit darker. Um, all right. So how do we now use the magical mind melding squirrels to get ourselves out of the predicament we're in or how do they how do they work with us? So I think we have to figure out a way to get them back back to the mainland so that we can use them somehow to infiltrate the CIA bases. But that's going to be quite tricky because we're at the moment stuck on Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, so, and we know the way we know the way out of the valley, but we don't know much else. We know the way out of the valley. We might be able to find our way to a city center, um, but we obviously can't swim home. <laughs> yeah, unless 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 we could somehow have dragons in this remote valley, we're not going to be able to fly fly home very easily either. So, yeah. so um, I think we're going to have to maybe take one or two squirrel friends, mm-hmm. and have and they voluntarily trek. come with Emily. They are really loyal to her. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, one or two one or two of Emily's very loyal squirrel <laughs> friends are going to come with with her and. They're going to also be keen to help rescue the, their friends, the unicorns, because mm-hmm. the unicorns and the squirrels have to get on quite well together. I think. I almost felt um, like they were symbiotic in some ways. Is how yeah, we were setting like it up. I'm, I'm wondering if they're like dropping nuts from the tree so that the unicorns can grab them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the unicorns can be, I don't know, helping them get around places or digging up the ground so that they can bury their stores. I'm not sure, but you know, I'm sure yeah. that. That somewhere there's that ecology, but I, you know, I'm a visionary and I'm not an ecologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> although, Absolutely. although as an author, <laughs> I actually do have some ecology. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, you have to. I feel like I, I I'm always baffled when I try to go into, especially really. Um, nature heavy settings in any of my books because I struggle a lot with plants and I want to identify them. Like there's a part of me that doesn't want to just be like, I walked past the pine tree. I want to be like, I, I walked past a lodgepole. Um, and, and so you, you pick up things as you go more. So if you're writing fantasy, I have to imagine. Yeah. I've never been a very good syst- systematist, which is the person who understands what everything is called. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, I don't even know what the person is called who knows what everything's called. Uh, my husband's um, uh, an arachnologist for Te Papa, which is New Zealand's wow. museum. Okay. And we met at university while I was doing my BSc on okay. biochemistry, genetics, and botany. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. So That's amazing. Okay. So you've, you've got a wealth of information there in the house. So, oh, it's very old information. <laughs> yeah. Very, very old. But I do have a little bit of it. Um, so what were we on? Ecology. And we were trying to rescue our squirrels, weren't we? Figuring yes, out yeah. how to get them home. Use, yeah, use them to get the unicorns home. Oh, I know. We have to, um, again, pull on our very useful, I knew Emily would be useful, our very mm. useful Emily. Yes. Who will be able to figure out a way to get back in contact with those um, drug runners. Mm, yes, absolutely. And... Because she has these squirrels that are that are helping her out, 
uh, she doesn't feel the same, <laughs> the same need to use drugs anymore. So the first time she's thinking clearly. And as soon as the squirrels get close to the drug runners, they do their magic and the drug runners don't want to be bad people anymore. And they really want to help. No, just- no, no, no. It's got to go crazy. <laughs> no, no, hey, this, no. I was trying to go light and fluffy for you. <laughs> no, no. We've gone gritty now. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. We can't go back. Okay. We can't go back. I think, I think we can have one or two of them maybe change, but we're, it's going to have to be conflict about here, I think. Yes. Yeah. And okay. they're going to demand something. Ah, they, perfect. Yes. They're going to demand, <laughs> well, we're flying you places. We don't want just money. We want yeah. you to do something nefarious for us. And we mm. have to decide whether we're going to say yes or no, or they mm. will steal the squirrels. Oh, wow. So now now Emily has like, she got us here, but now she's gotten us into trouble, which I really oh, yeah. like because that's a perfect opportunity for there to be a reconciliation between you and Emily because um, she's been kind of holding it over your head that you lost the unicorns. But now, now she sees that everybody can make mistakes and yeah, she's we reminded. We can all make mistakes. Yes. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And also you got to remember that your greatest strengths are often your greatest weaknesses. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. As an author. <laughs> exactly. So, as a human being, as a, as a, a parent, being. as a brother, as a kid, all these things. Yes. <laughs> and oh, you got man. kids. I do. Yeah. I've got three sons, 10, 10, uh, nine and seven. Oh my goodness. Lovely age. Yeah, it is really nice. I uh my favorite age so far is still the first six weeks. Um before <laughs> before they have personalities and they're just warm batteries no. that love to sleep in your arms. <laughs> they are lovely, but also exhausting. Yeah. They're they're exhausting. Kids are exhausting. Um so but I'm having so much fun now. My my ten year old really thinks complexly about the world. And so we just have these great philosophical conversations about Mario brothers uh that I love. And my middle son oh. is like a teenager. He's defiant. He's willful. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure at some level he is going to be a CEO of a company and just uh, wreck some people's lives in a good way. <laughs> Hopefully in a good way and not in yeah, a bad way. Their CEOs so. often seem to do. Yeah, exactly. There's some great ones but, out there, but yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, you got to have some powerhouses in the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he's he's just got that personality. He really, he really... Um, he, he has great ambitions and he expects so much of himself that I think oftentimes he feels like he's, he's failing uh, at life. And so it's fun to, to parent a kid who, um, you know, I have to encourage him to take risks. He's afraid if he fails that he looks like a loser. And so sometimes he doesn't take risks that he should. And you have to be like, it's okay if you lose. It's the only way that you can ever get to something valuable. Yeah. So, oh, they, yeah, yeah. they're very cute. Mine are um, like 25. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're a little it, bit older now. We're also past, a great the age. Stage. It's a great age. Yes, one of them's even left home. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and did you say, are you speaking to me from New Zealand at the moment? Yes. Okay. Yep. So there's going to be some huge differences culturally, even though we both speak English in, in the way that things go. But at like... What what is the process from like when they graduate high school? Or see, you might even call it high school. I, I realize sometimes when I'm having these cross country conversations that terms don't translate. As well, Everyone but, knows what America does. <laughs> I know, and we so, don't know what, what y'all do. You I know. have college, you have college, yep. but we call college university. Okay, alrighty. So they go to university, and is it still common for for people in New Zealand to go straight into university after uh, grades one through twelve or hmm, equivalent? So, um. It's more common probably either to go to university or polytech. 
Okay. But you can go straight from school and get a job. Yes. And that's respected. People don't look at you as if you've failed if you don't go to university. No. Yeah. No, that's you, a that's a I feel like the burden on American kids that they have to go to college or else they're considered to be underperformers. But I don't understand that because like mm-hmm. you don't need everyone to go to university. I don't there's no yeah. point. You go to university if you're interested in the courses that university provides, but to go there because you're supposed to. Why? Yeah. <laughs> I, I 100% agree with you. And I was actually, I was right there with you. Uh, I I was a troubled kid. And so um, I, I got into plenty of, of issues of my own, but I, I didn't end up going into college uh, for about five years after I graduated high school. So I was kind of a late starter. And that in and of itself, I would highly recommend to a lot of people, if you are going to go the college route, wait a little while. Because when you learn yourself, you bring a lot more to your studies. And so I think I got a lot out of college that that, um, people in the same classes as me who are fresh out of high school just weren't prepared for. Um, so I, I did think there was a benefit there, but I, I have my master's degree. And if I look back at it, uh, the amount of debt that I took on to get the master's degree versus what I'm actually able to do with my master's degree, I would not go to college. So I'd no. revise and not go. No, it's, it's, it's not, I, I, I am a big believer that, um, college or university should be free. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because the people who actually get the most benefit from your education isn't you. It's your country. Your country gets mm. way more benefit from your your education because you had to spend three years mm. and all that money to get it. Mm. So that makes it not a, just the three years time stops yeah. you from from actually getting into a job, going up all the levels, um, yeah. and earning money. So, but having educated people in a country actually um, lightens the burdens in terms of healthcare. Um, yeah. It gives more a bigger tax base. It, um, you've got a you know, happier, healthier, more educated population is actually very, very useful for a country. But for an individual, the huge burden that you took on means that it's not. It's, yeah. it's not a benefit to you. And the only reason to do it, as I said, is if you're pursuing something that is, you know, really interesting to you. Yeah. Or is going to make you a lot of money. But I, I you know, I don't. Don't even think like those courses where you learn how to make money, they could do that in a polytech. What's the point? Yeah. yeah. Science is uh, way, yeah. I, I, I'm sighing because I so much agree with you. And I'm thinking about, I mean, I'm thinking about my sons, to be honest with you. I'm thinking my wife and I have these conversations and both of us went to college and uh, she did use her degree. She was an accountant for uh, until, until we got married and had our, our first son. Um, and economics and accounting, those are important things to have a little bit of a college education. But I would agree with you wholeheartedly that she didn't need about 50% of the classes she took. And um, it'd just be so much more efficient for everyone to get you right into a career field when you know, oh, my family's done accounting for for, for generations and I'm going to do accounting. Uh, let's, let's skip it with, uh, the, you know, the English classes that you don't need or will ever use again and save those professors to really teach people who are passionate about that subject. There's a lot that we can do here. So, um, well, I'm so glad that we took a a brief detour to talk about the differences because I I didn't know, uh, uh, those things about New Zealand. And this is the part of the episode where my internet cut out briefly. 
So there was a little conversation about armchair expert. And I thought I would note here that I was talking about that when I realized I had lost the connection with her. Uh, one of the weekly episodes that Dax Shepard runs on Armchair Expert is hosted by David Ferrier, who is a uh, native New Zealander who explores the United States through the lens of a New Zealander. And I was going to tell AJ about him uh, and suggest that she listen to it. I think it's a really fun show. I'd also recommend it to you, dear listener. And now back to the interview that's going to be wrapping up. Folks can take these stories that we tell. Um, and by all means, if you wish to write it, you, you absolutely can. But more, I, I do this podcast this way um, so that people get a taste for the way that you write and yeah. they can read you and enjoy reading you. Um, when you when you have a guest on and they read a book that they've already written, it's very difficult to be performative. But look how performative we were telling this story together. And it gives people an idea of how AJ Ponder writes. So um, with that in mind, if you do want to write this uh, or anybody listening, feel free. I'll have some, some outline in the show notes for you and you can run with it a thousand people could write the same concept and come up with a thousand unique stories so (laughs) um, so true yeah exactly and uh we've already talked about your kickstarter uh where can people find your published books that you have right now and, and what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you so the best way to stay in touch with me is to go to my website and sign up for my newsletter Okay. Um, so my website is is um, www.ponderbooks.com. Perfect. So P-O-N-D-E-R-B-O-O-K-S.com. Perfect. And um, my books, uh, it's best to look for the series name, the Sylvana Chronicles. It's wide, so it's everywhere. It's Excellent. on audiobooks as well. Um, and there's the Kickstarter where they're starting, and there's also on Amazon, there's the Blood of the Fae series, there's Into Fairland and Into Brosselande, where, um, and the, the blurb for Into Fairland is an eye for an eye, a child for a child, and I can't remember the rest of it, but it's basically um, you've got some some fighters in there whose ch- ch- child is stolen by the Fae, and they have to try and get her back again. Fantastic. Okay. Well, perfect. We can get everybody there. If they sign up for your newsletter, or do you, are you running any kind of offer with it or uh, is it just primarily to keep in touch with you? So it's primarily to keep in touch with me. Um, okay, there perfect. is a free, there's a free book, um, The Secret Story, no, The Secret Child. Okay. Um, that, that comes along with the newsletter and um, there's often copies of The Secret Story also available, which is a, um, it's part of my fantasy quest prophecy omens world, but it's the witches behind <laughs> who hide in who hide in fantasy books and you never ever see. So yeah. it was just a cute little cozy fantasy story that I made with it for them, and that's often free on my if you join my newsletter as well. Perfect. Excellent. Well, that sounds great. It's been uh, wonderful talking to you. One of the things that I wanted to mention, too, because this format is new for me, is that uh, inviting folks off of Twitter to tell stories with me is a really exciting way to meet people that I never expected, because you're using an avatar on a Twitter uh, that's a kind of a, a illustrated image. I think of a, a witch, if I'm remembering correctly, or somebody kind of wearing a pointy cap. And so I think I expected you to be maybe a, a younger a younger person who was going through an emo phase. That was that was my expectations, and you're Do- you're definitely that was, not that person. <laughs> that was Dothy, my um my bad guy, and 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 the Savala Chronicles. And I've chosen that, that image because it's 
doesn't it's neither male nor female so yeah so i just i just did the middle ground and i, I really love it because it's because it's, you know, quite fun. It is fun. It is fun. And I, I'm, I've uh, been, well, not even quite a full year on Twitter at this point, but learning kind of the rhetoric of how you interact with people based on their avatar is also really interesting. And uh, the name that you pick to go under, some people will go under their author name like you are. Some people will just do their their full name like I am. Um, some people will use uh, an illustration. Other people will use a picture of a famous person. And you gather so much data, uh, but not all of it is uh factual it's all true but it's not all factual you know so i think that's a fascinating piece of twitter i like it so no, make sure you're trying to extrapolate from such so, so many very small data points exactly and i quite like the the little names where it's like i'm really interested in such and such because they can't fit it into their bio so they've just got their, their handle <laughs> it's all this information about them it's, it's quite exactly funny. i like it a lot so um well fantastic this is good i am going to go ahead and wrap up and i'll send people yeah, your way okay. uh to get your books yeah what's up i just wanted to say thank you so much for having me it was been yeah. it, was, it was a blast to be on there and i really enjoyed meeting you absolutely a lot of fun. yes thank great you. idea thank you Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?